Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jays and Orioles, game 161, tonight at 7.05, weather permitting. It'll be Mitch White against Mike Bauman. Could be an interesting one as far as Jays postseason roster decisions go. Uh, you're not going to overreact to single outings, but there are a couple guys who are on the fringes of the postseason roster here at least the wildcard series roster, if Santiago Espinal and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. or either one of them are deemed not ready to go, what does that look like for a Gabriel Moreno? For the Jackie Bradley Jr., Bradley Zimmer, Rymel Tapia decision. If Mitch White gives you a good outing here, or if he's a... a di- or if he's a, a disaster and... Uh, can't then yeah that's a that's a pretty big swing um we've got a couple texts in the text line you can keep those coming 590 590 um we're gonna try to get buck martinez a little bit later um so right now uh we'll take some of your texts we'll take some mailbag questions that are pocketed from the other day and uh, we won't get lineups in time for this segment, but we'll take a look at that pitching matchup, Mike Bowman and Bauman, rather, and uh, Mitch White. So, um, again, just just because uh, it was mentioned earlier, uh, someone asked if uh, if the game gets called like it did last night, do your bets pay out? Um, probably not. They're probably getting voided. So read the fine print where you uh, where you go. Um, someone asked if. They would play a doubleheader tomorrow if tonight's game is called. Uh, it sounds like no. We got told no uh, during our first segment um, that Major League Baseball would not make the Jays play a doubleheader tomorrow uh, for games that don't matter right before the wild card. Uh, Daryl from Toronto says, great show as usual. Thank you. Uh, Jays have unfinished business left for this movie. Uh, take care of Seattle because the sweeping motion when they got swept earlier in the year and take care of Houston because of Springer's old team. And then uh, the Yankees, uh, no more. You don't need to say any more than that. Uh, let's take it a series at a time, Daryl. Let's, uh, let's find out if it's Seattle or Tampa Bay. It's not like they don't have unfinished business with Tampa Bay from 2020 or just the general horrors of playing that team the last few years. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Let's take it a series at a time, uh, just in case. Uh, someone who didn't sign theirs said nice things about the show, but uh, pointed out that I mispronounced Ire earlier, and uh, I did. I tripped on it as I was saying it, uh, but that's okay. Um, Tyler in St. Catherine says he's going to be in the 200s. Um, he was also there for Edwin in the wild card game uh, in 2016. So was I. That was six years ago today. That was... Uh, yeah, I was there as a fan is uh, is about as much as I'm willing to say about that experience. Um, I was right down the first baseline, um, almost as far as right field. So I had a clean view into the Orioles bullpen and watched Zach Britton as he continued to not get that call over and over again. It was uh, quite good. One of my favorite games, one of my buddy, uh, John, back in St. George. A um, lot of fun. Playoff baseball in Toronto is awesome. Um, went to a handful of those games over 2015 and 2016. 
And yeah, can't recommend it enough. If you got tickets, if you're still looking for tickets, uh, if not, I mean, grab some friends and watch them. It's uh, it's great. And Tyler's other question, by the way, other than that he's in the 200s, um, is that was, do we know what time game the games are going to be? We don't. Um, I have it. I mean, I have my own assumptions about it, but it certainly sounds like from uh, the rumblings uh, around that if the Jays get Tampa, they'd be in the early slot. If they get Seattle, uh, they'd be in that second slot. So whether it works out to 3.30 or 4 or 4.30, wherever they put it, um, the Jays would probably be in that second slot. Major League Baseball has a bit of a scheduling conundrum where all four of the four hosts in the first round, um, three are Eastern time zone, one central time zone, but you've got two West Coast road teams in San Diego and Seattle, and you have to try to spread those games out across four time slots. So um, a little bit of tough scheduling there, but yeah, if, if it ends up being Tampa Bay, I, I would assume it's the earliest game and Seattle, maybe the second one of the four uh, our pal, Chris black, who was on earlier. Uh, this isn't a text line question, but it's a question I'm going to throw to you guys as a hypothetical. We were kind of talking about this a couple weeks back when the Jays weren't in control of the uh, wild card, the top wild card spot. And Here's the question for you. You're the Mariners and the Rays right now. You can no longer get home field. Do you kind of want to lose so that you get Cleveland instead of Toronto? We were kind of talking ourselves into um, if Cleveland was a better matchup for the Jays when the other options were Tampa or Seattle. Um, I could see either of those teams thinking the same way. We'll see how that uh, how that all plays out. Um, Brody from Hamilton says, great grandpa was the last band I was expecting to hear on the show today. Great choice. Thanks. Yeah, they uh, they rule. Um, I stumbled on them way back now, like 2015 or 2016. They were opening for another band, and I just got there early enough for the opener, um, and they were playing. So that was great. Um, big fan of theirs. James in Scarborough says he bet the Jays to go over over 92 and a half wins. Uh, so he wants them to play 162. Yeah, that's something on the line uh, these last couple of days, James. Hopes that, hope that works out for you. Uh, also on the line right now is the voice of the Toronto Blue Jays for Sportsnet. It's Buck Martinez. Buck, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I got to say, though, I, I don't want to put you in a in a bad spot right off the top, but I think yesterday you called the wrong number. I, I wasn't the one who won the 50-50. Uh, there must be some mistake, Buck. Yeah, you know what? There was a whole lot of people on the Blue Jays charter that wanted me to call them on Monday, but uh, <laughs> I unfortunately couldn't do that. <laughs> um, it was an exciting time, and, uh, you know, I did speak to the winners, and uh, – they seem to be a little bit underwhelmed, but I think more than anything, they were in shock to hear that they won that kind of prize. And it was a, a great day for them, a great day for Jay's care, and I was glad to be part of it. Yeah, that's the thing is for every dollar that someone won on 50-50, the Jay's Care Foundation got that as well. So um, that was great. Uh, Buck, we also got the news on the weekend, and you and Dan Schulman provided it on the broadcast, that um, Sportsnet is going to have our own broadcast for Canadian fans during the playoffs. We'll, we'll lose Dan to ESPN Radio, but it'll be you, Pat, and Hazel getting to cover this run. Um, how special is that for you? How excited were you to get that news? No, it's very special. You know, you you do a whole season, obviously, when you cover the Blue Jays on a regular basis, and then you have to uh, take a back seat to the national broadcast. It's never fun. 
And it happened to me in 92, 93. It happened in 15 and 16. And, you know, Pat and I are thrilled that we're going to be able to be involved and, and, and bring the fans a, a broadcast that uh, they're used to. You know, it's unfortunate, but when you have the uh, international broadcast come in, they don't know your team like we do. They don't know the opponents like we do. We do every game, so we know everybody that they play. We know them very well, and it's uh, it's just a continuation of uh, what we do all season long. And I believe that we have the best broadcast team in the country, in North America. I think our producers, the directors, cameramen, audio people, I, I don't think they take a bad seat to anyone. And I think it's uh, just a great opportunity for all of us. And we're really excited about bringing these games to the fans across Canada. Well, you won't hear any argument here, Buck. Uh, really excited to hear you and Pat and Hazel. Um, for you personally, I, I know you just mentioned 92, 93, 15, 16. Um, especially with everything that you've gone through this year uh, to get back to the broadcast booth with, as that Globe and Mail piece uh, said on the weekend, you know, a a bit of an uncertain um, future for you in terms of what you're going to do next. How special is this for you, uh, for your own career? This is um, probably um, exceeds anything I thought might happen this year, for sure. You know, when I got the news back in April, uh, the first thing was to take care of myself. Uh, my wife, Arlene, was a tremendous uh, advocate for me, and, and she was by my side through the whole process. And then, um, you know, we went down to Houston, and we uh, took it as a job. We, we looked at our challenge as something we just had to meet face on, and, and we did that. And I had great doctors and a great team that helped me, and I had no idea I could get back. In fact, The doctor I worked with primarily was very, very skeptical that I could get back to this season. But I told him, I said, I'm going to get back and do these games in the second half of the season. And sure enough, I was able to do that. So now with the Blue Jays going into the postseason, uh, we can be part of it. And, yeah, it's it's a great, great way to end up uh, what's been kind of an uncertain summer for me. Well, I'm I'm very glad, Buck, and we're all very glad as Jays fans and as Jays media, of course. Um, I know that over the course of a, a long season, you take a lot of notes. You've got your your scoring pad where where you make notations. You've got your notebook from conversations on the field. Um, what a what do these next couple days look like for you? Are are you revisiting a lot of that stuff to try to kind of tie the season's stories together? Or are you just treating it like? any other game as the players will try to tell us what is your process heading into this weekend well my my job changes with which chair i'm sitting in so Mm -hmm. now doing play by play my job is a little bit different than it is when i'm a color analyst so i've been trying to catch up on on, uh, seattle i've been watching their games the last week or so uh we know tampa bay we've just seen tampa bay (laughs) an awful lot so that's not a concern but there's still a chance tampa bay can come to toronto and play at rogers center if they win all their games, the next two, and then Seattle loses the next three, uh, you know, they're tied, and then Tampa Bay has the tiebreaker. So there's still a possibility. We don't know for sure who we're going to play yet, but we know for sure we're going to be at Rogers Center, so that's a big boost. I think the biggest thing is uh, just making sure you have all of the uh, information you need. Uh, you know, it's not uh, any different. The games mean a lot more, but the broadcast of the games are the same. And, uh, of course, we will put into it the uh, the playoff perspective, the experience level for guys that have been in this before. And then we'll talk about the guys that haven't been in it before. So it's a unique situation. And, you know, in talking to Bo Bichette the other day, he said, I believe this is our first postseason run, even though they went to the postseason in 20. 
that was a unique season with no fans in the stands. So he feels like this is the true first time the Blue Jays, this particular group of Blue Jays, has been to the postseason. So he's pretty excited about it. Yeah, we we all are, Buck. Um, you mentioned the the broadcast approach maybe doesn't change a lot. Um, the manager's role. I feel like it will. The the managing for 162 versus the managing for a 3, 5, or 7 game series is a little different. Um, what do you think we're going to learn about John Schneider these next couple weeks? That he is very well prepared. He has been uh, a revelation for me, not seeing him manage before, how well he handles everything. And, and my being in that seat, I know things come at you very quickly. And they certainly come at you a lot quicker when you take over the manager's job midseason. So I applaud what he has done to this point, and I won't be surprised if he continues to do such a good job. But you're right. In, in a three-game series, I mean, it changes. It's different in a five-game series, and it's different in a seven-game series because you have to plan things a little more prudently the more games you have. But uh, I think he will push his players, and he will look for matchups that favor his bullpen. And I think that's where he has really shown is the fact that he can manage a bullpen very well, and he's done that. And, uh, you know, the Blue Blue Jays' bullpen doesn't get the kind of respect it deserves on a major league level, but they have done a hell of a job, and John is part of that. It's the way he's matched them up, and he's used them in situations where they can succeed. So I expect him to do the same thing in the postseason. A couple, well, not a couple of weeks ago, about a week ago, you were fairly critical of um, the Jays making a handful of mistakes all bunched together. And that was kind of, what's that, sorry? (laughs) Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah, it was about five minutes. uh, It might be the most fired up I've I've ever heard you. Um, And maybe this is a Schneider thing, maybe this is a personnel thing. Have you seen the response that you were hoping for and looking for from this group after that game? Well, I don't think they responded to me. No, no, not to you, just to the to, to John or, or to the situation. Yeah, it has been different. There's no question about it. And last night, Teoscar made a heck of a catch in the right field up against the scoreboard. That It probably turned the game around and pushed the game in their favor. The, the base running has been exceptional. Uh, Whit Merrifield has a lot to do with that. But Danny Jansen and Teo and Vladdy, everybody's running now. And I think what happened was it was – brought to their attention by the manager that that's not the way we're going to play. That's we, we can't have it like that. You can't make those mistakes. And in the game that I was disappointed in when both got called out a second, and I don't think that was his fault. I think that was the flaw in the replay system that I don't like that call at all when he lost contact with the base. But Vladdy Cadillac it out of the batter's box and then got thrown out a second by 10 feet. You just can't do that. And I think John called him out on it. John talked to him about it. And uh, I don't think it's going to happen again. And Teoscar did the same thing in the Yankees series when he hit the ball off the screen, off the wall in center field. He thought it was a grand slam home run. And had the Yankees thrown the ball to second, he would have been out. So uh, you, you just can't make those kinds of mistakes. I mean, there's plenty of time to celebrate an accomplishment after the game. You don't have to celebrate it when it's happening. You sure don't. Um, you mentioned Whit Merrifield there as well, Buck, and he's someone who's really come on here ahead of the the postseason, and, and we see a lot of the the savvy base running. Even last night, that scoring from third on that um, wild pitch or, or pass ball, however it was scored, um, in a really tight spot, 
did uh, it said a lot to me, I think. Um, is base running one of the – is that the biggest area you think takes on a greater emphasis in the playoffs from a, a player perspective? No, I don't think so. But I think uh, there are things they've emphasized, and I think the one thing is defense. You just can't make mistakes on defense in the postseason, and I think that's what they've been harping on. We've seen a lot of fundamental drills in the last week. Pitchers taking fielding practice, infielders working on bunt plays, first and third steal plays. Uh, Fundamentals are something that will cost you. If you make mistakes fundamentally, you will lose in the postseason. And I think more than anything, yeah, base running is an important aspect of that. But I think at the same time, they're going to emphasize defense. And they they got to make sure when you get a chance to turn two, you better turn it. You can't just be satisfied with getting one out because that next guy, chances are he's going to be a pretty good hitter and they'll take advantage of that extra out that you've given them. And I think, uh, you know, these teams that the Blue Jays are going to play from here on in are going to be the best teams in baseball. And uh, you have to make sure you don't make any mistakes. You've got to have a plan before that pitch is delivered what are you going to do if that ball is hit to you? And I think that's all you have to ask. And if you do that, you'll be well prepared to make the play. Buck, one of their best defenders, Santiago Espinal, still trying to work his way back. The same could be said for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Um, where is your comfort level having those guys on, on a wild card roster or um, starting them versus bringing them off the bench if they haven't been able to get in games these next two days? I would be more comfortable with Espinal coming off the bench to play defense than I would Gurriel starting a game because Mm -hmm. he hasn't played. And, um, you know, Gurriel has a hamstring. It's it's about running. And, you know, he has has made comments that, you know, I think I could hit. Well, if you hit and you react to getting a base hit and run out of the box uh, very quickly, there's a chance you could re-injure yourself. So I think it's unfortunate that right now I'm sitting at the ballpark and the tarp is on the field, but it's not raining. So I expect to see Guriel out running here shortly, and hopefully he'll be able to run around and get a pretty good idea how he feels. But it's cold. It's colder right now than it was last night. So it's going to be an unfortunate situation for him to get ready. But, uh, yeah, it's a tough decision for the ball club. But instead of forcing him to be on the roster for the first series, I would give him the extra three days and let him get healthy. Because if you want him back, you want him playing in left field. With Espinal now that Witt's playing very well, I think you want Espinal for late-inning defensive replacements at third, short, and second if needed. Uh, you know, if something happened to Bo that he couldn't finish a game, you'd have to have Espinal because he's the best replacement the Blue Jays have. And the same for third base and second base. So I want Espinal on the postseason roster. I think he's healthy enough to be on the postseason roster. I'm not so certain that uh, Gurriel is needed as much as Espinal is needed. That makes sense to me, Buck. Uh, I know you got to uh, get going into prep mode here as the the clubhouse opens and we see if the weather holds up. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Can't wait to hear you guys on the call uh, for Sportsnet for the postseason. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. And I hope we have uh, a few more of these series that we can chat again about. Looking forward to it, Buck. Uh, I hope we do. Buck Martinez, voice of the Blue Jays on Sportsnet, uh, always a treat to get to talk to Buck. Um, and, hey, nice to hear him say that it's not raining right now down there. So um, that's uh, that's always a plus as well. We're going to talk to our pal Sarah Langs in a little bit here from MLB.com. Uh, we're going to go through some of the 
you know, number side of how the Jays shape up with the Mariners and the Rays. Before we do that, before we take a break, a couple texts in the text line. Uh, still, Joseph from Milton says, uh, I remember watching the wildcard game in my basement in 2016, almost woke my family up celebrating. Joseph from Milton, I would say to Joseph's family from Milton, why were they asleep? Come on. Got to stay up for that one. Um, Rick and Markham asks, uh, why are we not talking about Kevin Biggio for the playoff roster? Why is he a lock? And someone like Tapia is being lumped in with Zimmer and Bradley. Um, part of that is what is your utility as a bench guy? And the Tapia one's tough because if Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is back and he's starting in left field, it's harder to find a spot where Tapia would come in because he's not as good a base runner as Zimmer and Bradley. He's not as good a fielder as Zimmer, Zimmer and Bradley. Um, the Jays do, I think, like Tapia's bat better than Biggio's, but I don't think they like it better than the options he would pinch hit for. So um, it's not about who's a better player. Rymel Tapia's played a bigger role for this team and, and has certainly played better of late. Um, but with Biggio's infield slash outfield flexibility, especially until we know Santiago Espinal is going to be on that roster. Um, you got to have someone who could fill in at an infield position in a pinch. Um, and Biggio has a little bit more flexibility with that. In addition to, they also seem to like not a straight lefty righty platoon, but there are certain types of pitchers. They really like Kevin Biggio against, um, I have to sit down and dive in a little bit more on if Seattle or Tampa Bay have those pitchers, but, but that's the other reason. Um, Eddie from Angus saying the Johnny Cueto game was wild. Felt like 45,000 people were chanting Cueto while he was choking under the pressure. Uh, let's go boys. Um, yeah. Johnny Cueto, by the way, have any of you guys looked at his numbers on the year? Um, this has got to be the weirdest turn back the clock at 36 years old that I can remember. He has a 335 ERA and has pitched like 160 innings. Uh, I don't know how he's doing it. He doesn't miss any bats anymore whatsoever. Um, but yeah, his best, uh, his best season since 2016 and who has noticed because the White Sox are, uh, are, uh, underwhelming disaster. So Shout out to Johnny Cueto, I guess. Um, good, good pull, Eddie from Angus. Um, Brian in Toronto, uh, MLB is already saying the Jays will definitely face Seattle. Can you explain your magic number? Yeah, so um, this, Seattle has three games left. Tampa has two. Um, they're only separated by a game and a half. If Seattle, There are a couple scenarios where, uh, oh, also the other thing is Tampa Bay has the tiebreaker over Seattle. So if they tie, um, Tampa Bay would play Toronto, not Seattle. So uh, again, I ran some numbers earlier based using um, Vegas odds and fan graphs probabilities uh, to create win probabilities for each game. Uh, it's about a 90.9% chance that the Jays get Seattle. Seattle, uh, someone asked, isn't Seattle supposed to play a doubleheader today? Any chance that gets cut back to one? They are. They're playing a six o'clock, uh, 945 doubleheader later. Um, I don't know why that would get cut back to one. Um, that's a, that's a like previously slotted in makeup game. Um, and it's relevant to the standings, whereas the Jays one isn't. Um, and it's a, it's an extra day early. So uh, you get the extra um, day there as well. 
Um, James in Vancouver saying uh, to that person's earlier question about whether your bet pays out uh, that his paid out. So again, I, I just urge you to, if a game is looking iffy to finish and go all the way, just read the fine print on uh, wherever you're, wherever you're um, playing. Uh, Rick asks uh, regarding there not being a doubleheader if tonight's game's canceled with only one game separating the Jays and the Guardians, uh, could that not come into play if they meet in the ALCS in terms of home field advantage? Um, yeah, that's a, an interesting one. There are certainly some scenarios with uh, later, and you know you could look at the the standings in the National League and see for a World Series and things like that. I would have to double check if Cleveland would get home field by way of being the higher seed, um, or if it would revert to. Uh, overall record um, because Cleveland is the higher seed. So we'll see. And I know we're not reseeding, but I don't know how the the home field would work in that one. I'll I'll get back to you on that one, Rick. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Sarah Langs of MLB.com. We're going to see how the Jays shape up with the Mariners and Rays. And then eventually we'll get around to talking about the Orioles uh, and taking a look at Mike Bauman and Mitch White. I don't know that anyone's... uh, eager for the infinite Orioles games, but it should be a a fun one and a light one and a fun lineup if this one uh, does go down. So we'll set that up over the second half of your extended Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. We have the numbers now. I'm uh, I'm Blake Murphy. This is Jay's Talk Plus. You know we like the numbers. No one better to help us with those than our pal Sarah Langs of MLB.com, of Ballpark Dimensions, of Baseball Tonight. Sarah, we now know the playoff field, the full 12 teams. How are you feeling? Hey, sorry. I was not hearing you at the beginning there, but we were feeling great. Excited for the postseason. How are you? I am great. Also excited for the postseason. Excited the Blue Jays have locked in home field in that first round. Um, anything left to answer over these last two days around baseball? I know there's a couple um, a couple seeding things, but but are there any questions on your mind, or is it just get to the playoffs for you? Well, certainly the seeding you mentioned. Um, right now, we're not 100% sure whether the Jays will be hosting the Rays or the Mariners. I believe the Mariners can walk up that trip to Toronto tonight with a win. And then, uh, of course, the NL East is technically not over yet. But the moment the Braves win or the Mets lose, that will be set. But overall, just very excited to, for the playoffs and everything that that is going to bring. I have a question for you on the playoff format. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but um, if it goes, let, let's look ahead to like the ALCS or NLCS. Um, would home field be determined by the seed or the higher record? Like if the Jays have a better record than Cleveland, would the Jays host that or would Cleveland host it since they won their division? Do you know that offhand? I believe it would be the seed, but I am not 100% sure. That was my interpretation of it as well. Um, The schedule just says low at high. 
and I wasn't sure if that meant low record, low yeah. seed. Um, so, okay, that's great. That's good to know. Um, Sarah, you were tweeting a couple times recently about Kyle Schwarber attacking George Springer's record for home runs from the leadoff spot in a season. We yeah. obviously know that uh, here in Toronto, we know George Springer's leadoff home run prowess well. When you look around baseball, you see Springer, who was, uh, at, you know, at one point a, a 35, 40 home run guy, Kyle Schwarber in a leadoff spot, Aaron Judge leading off. Um, have we kind of gotten to the to the end point of reimagining the leadoff spot? Um, I know that, you know, it'll get credited to analytics or whatever, but it does seem teams are a lot more willing over the last few years to have a, a power hitter in that spot. It really seems so. I mean, even a guy like um, Mookie Betts, you know, if you look at the Dodgers and you just look at the stats of him, Freddie Freeman, and Trey Turner, Trey Turner is your historical kind of leadoff hitter. That's the guy who would hit leadoff on that team. He has the most speed, all of that. But instead, it's Mookie Betts, who has 34, 35 home runs of his own, all out of the leadoff spot, who's doing it. And I do think it is a credit to the analytics community and these teams realizing that, hey, I would rather see this guy up an extra time over the course of a couple days, you know, if you look at it, there's math about how many plate appearances over the course of the game or over the course of the season you get based on where you hit in the order. And it's very simple. You hit first, you bat the most. Mm. So it's really fun to see a guy like Kyle Schwarber doing that for the Phillies. And, of course, that's the reason people like putting sluggers batting second because at least then the idea that there's one guy on but as you mentioned, with guys like Springer, Judge right now, to get him toward that record, all of that, it's really fun to see these guys hitting leadoff and hitting these towering home runs as leadoff home runs. It certainly is. And, I, you know, I, I look at a, a lineup like Philadelphia's that is pretty deep or like Toronto's that is pretty deep. The Yankees haven't had that for Aaron Judge. I think he came up to the plate with nobody on base almost every time uh, in the Toronto series. But you have a team like Philadelphia that has really good on base percentage out of their bottom couple spots. Um, a team like Toronto that by OPS or by WRC plus has uh, the best production kind of five through nine in the league. Do depth teams like that have even more of an advantage to gain from that? Because there's not the same level of trade off of, you know, guys who can't get on base. Like there's, it feels like there's more of a, you can set the table for a power hitter at the bottom of a line uh, with the bottom of your lineup. Uh, if you're Toronto or Philadelphia, where a team like the Yankees has been able to do that. For sure. I mean, I think it's a luxury, as you're saying. And being able to have those guys hitting eighth or ninth who can get on base and having reliable on-base guys at the bottom of the lineup. I mean, it gets back to the idea that a lot of managers have employed of sort of the idea of a second leadoff hitter when you have two guys who are kind of your traditional leadoff hitter hitting one of them ninth. 
so that he's almost setting the table for the actual leadoff hitter. When you have one of these power guys who could hit in that role, then you take a traditional leadoff hitter and all of a sudden he's batting ninth. And you just have a kind of endless loop of a lineup, which is a really good spot to be in. And I do agree that, you know, Aaron Judge hitting leadoff is different. Hmm. That's happening right now because they really want him to hit 62 home runs, it seems. And I think if the Yankee lineup were at a different spot in the season and the goal for the team right now was not kind of that and finishing out the year, I'm not sure he would hit leadoff. He did it a couple of times before this chase, but he's not necessarily the guy you're putting there for that reason. So I sort of see the Yankee set up as a little bit different. In general, heading into the playoffs, obviously that's a, that's a great thing as we uh, just discussed in terms of um, you know setting the lineup for your leadoff hitter. In general, heading into the playoff series or heading into the playoffs, Sarah, um, do you have a, a lean on which type of lineup you'd prefer? A, a more top-heavy lineup that has a couple guys who are just so hard to pitch to versus a depth lineup where maybe there's not the same, you know, Judge or Shohei at the top of it, but they do make you work one through nine. What do you think is better suited for a, a deeper playoff run? I know that everyone always wants to talk about small ball for the playoffs. So the truth is, if you look back last postseason or over the last couple, home runs are what wins in the playoffs. Teams went 25-2 and two last year in postseason games when they out-homered their opponents. Oh. So I think I would want to have a slugger. I mean, you need to have a good lineup, but this is why I think the Braves are in such a great spot. And a team like the Jays is set up really well, too. If you can hit those home runs, you're going to be in a good spot. Does that give you some concern then? You know, the Jays do have some some depth. They have, uh, you know, they lead the league in average and on base percentage and, and OPS. Uh, but like you said, they're also seventh in home runs behind only the Yankees or the Astros in the American League. Um, when you look at an offense like Cleveland's, and this is looking ahead a bit on a Toronto show, but we got three hours here. We could talk about the other American League playoff series. Um, Cleveland's inability to hit home runs. Only the Tigers have hit fewer home runs this year. Um, the Tampa Bay Rays actually not far off of that either. They, they've really struggled to um, hit by the standards of a playoff team, but really uh, to hit for power in general. Um, do you have more concern about those teams then? Is that true for Cleveland and not Tampa? What do you make of those two offenses and how they, they project ahead here? I do have concerns for exactly that reason. And, I mean, the Guardians have been so much fun to watch. And, of course, the Rays have so much excitement with a guy like Wander Franco, the fact that Glasnow is back. I mean, both of these are very fun teams, very exciting teams. I don't want to take away from them. But the number one concern I have for the Guardians is about power. And, you know, it's going to come down, I think, to Jose Ramirez. If he can go on one of those runs that we know he can, 
where he hits a bunch of home runs in a pretty short span. I think they have the pitching to make that uh, out homer thing happen, right? He hits one, they don't allow one, win the game. But if he's not able to carry the offense that way, I'm just not sure. And they're a great team. And they're fun to watch. They go first to third. They're super speedy. They do all of these dynamic things. But that's not what we've seen really be the end-all, be-all in postseason baseball lately. When you look at the the Blue Jays, Sarah, um, I know that there's uh, there's some risk in over tweaking the lineup so much, but uh, I do wonder your take on the way the Jays' batting order is structured right now. Where I think Springer, Bobichet, and Vlad are, are pretty locked in one, two, three right now. Um, they've been hitting Alejandro Kirk fourth. He's been a little cold of late. Um, Teoscar Hernandez has been one of the better hitters in this lineup of late. And you look at some of his full season stat cast numbers and few guys hit the ball as hard and punish fastballs as much as Teoscar. Um, would you be tempted to tweak that? Does, does the batting order have a, a ton of importance for you, how you structure your four, five, six, um, or am I just kind of overthinking this? You know, I mean, I don't think there's any harm in tweaking it that way because, as you said, Teosfer has been on a great tear lately, and he is the stack darling for sure. Mm. He is so much fun to watch, crushes the ball. Kirk has been a great story all year. He's been very good, but, I mean, when you think of the lineup, it comes back to what I was saying about leadoff hitters. Every spot is going to get more plate appearances over the course of a game, series, whatever it is, than the spot below it. So if you have Tasker hitting fourth, he will come up whatever percentage more often than Kirk. And again, it's going to be pretty minute down at four and five, but the idea stands that if that is the guy who's hitting well right now, if you want him up in a key spot, I don't see why it wouldn't make sense to do it, but these guys are such creatures of habit. Sometimes it's better for the actual hitter, both of them, to just stay put. I mean, we've seen these things. Everything baseball players go through, sometimes one little change doesn't have the desired effect and instead goes haywire. Yeah, that, that's true. And maybe, you know, the fact that we haven't seen them touch it a, a ton of late suggests that they feel similarly to you, Sarah. Um, so it, it sounds like there are a couple different ways to uh, chop it up and the Jays offense comes out looking pretty good no matter what. Um, do they have any red flags in their profile for you, though, whether it's base running or, or the bullpen or, or whatever part of the Jays you're maybe less confident about than just the bats? You know, I think it's probably the bullpen only because we've seen it go through a couple different iterations this year and certainly some good times and some less so. But overall, I mean, you just never know which teams are going to fully rise to the occasion. And I don't see any reason why this Blue Jays team wouldn't. I think they're deep enough. I think they have a great team. I mean, it really just comes down to the fact that 
the winner of that series is going to have to face the Astros, and that's what's going to be tough. I don't think it's anything about the Jays. I think it's just how great the Astros are. Yeah, it is. Uh, it does seem like there's a bit of a gap between the Astros and everyone else. Like if, if we were to do American League tiers right now, it might be the Astros in tier one and the other five teams all together uh, in tier two. Maybe, maybe you drop someone to a tier three. Um, when it comes to the rotations around the American League, and I guess let's just focus on the wild card teams uh, and the top three. I don't think anyone can match depth with the Astros. It's not really a fair thing to ask. But when you look at this wild card bracket with Cleveland, who have Bieber and McKenzie and Quantrill, they can throw out there. The Jays will probably run Manoa Gosman Stripling if Gosman's uh, finger is okay. Um, Tampa Bay has McClanahan and then a whole bunch of options behind him and Seattle has Castillo Ray and then, you know, either Kirby or Gilbert, two really good young pitchers. Um, what is your preferred kind of group uh, among these top four or sorry, uh, among these four wildcard teams? Sorry, I'm tripping on my words a little bit here, Sarah. Sorry. Um, do you have a, a favorite of those four groups? Like which rotation are you most confident in when you sit down with the games this weekend? You know, it's fascinating because the fact that these are serious, the fact that we're talking about best of three, we saw this once before. We're really thinking, okay, who is the most top two heavy, I guess? And I will say, and I know it's a Blue Jays audience, <laughs> and yeah, I know fans want to hear this. I would not want to run into Alec Manoa in any sort of do-or-die situation. I just think on field with his numbers, with everything he throws, but also, you know, intangibles, that is a big game pitcher, and I'm so excited for him to be in this spot for the Jays. So I will certainly say that, you know, it's funny the way you presented the Rays because, you say it that way, and it sounds like, uh-oh, are they in trouble? But we also know this is what Kevin Cash does. He manages pitchers, not starters, relievers, anything, just guys who are throwing. And if there's anyone who can get out of the wild card series with, uh, you know, Glass now who might not be fully stretched out, Corey Kluber, who's now, you know, toward the end of his career, so on and so forth. And then the Cy Young candidate, it's definitely the race. But, I mean, honestly, these teams are all really good pitching-wise, which is interesting. It's not that they're all just here because of offense. Yeah, it's true. It's, uh, you know, if it were just offense, it'd be... Houston Yankees and Toronto and no one else would make it. Uh, The pitching side is pretty big. Um, You mentioned you wouldn't want to run into Alec Manoa. I'm curious. He has the ERA to get in the conversation. Kevin Gosman has the strikeout and walk numbers to get in the conversation. Uh, Sarah, if you have, I don't know if you have an actual awards ballot, but let's, let's just do the hypothetical just in case. So you don't have to reveal it. If so, Um, are there any J's on your hypothetical award? ballot this year i do not have an actual but i have plenty of hypotheticals and uh you know for me looking at numbers i do think that either 
Gossman or Manoa has a pretty good chance of getting a decent amount of votes in the American League for Cy Young. I mean, I think it's pretty much slam dunk. Justin Verlander, of course, Dylan Peace had a great year, and that will probably get him finishing second. But I could easily see Manoa finishing third or fourth. Framber Valdez, of course, going to get a lot of looks. And I do think Gossman with the strikeouts, that comes up as well. So I would expect that you, you know, fans will be seeing probably those two names, Gossman and uh, Manoa, on the voting, you know, down ballot. I'm not expecting either of them to win or necessarily finish second, but they have great years, and they certainly deserve plenty of adulation for that. Well, great years and plenty of adulation. That could describe you as well, Sarah. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out. I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Uh, have a blast this weekend watching these wildcard games. Thank you. You as well. I'm so excited for this, and thank you for having me. Sarah Langs, MLB.com, Ballpark Dimensions, Baseball Tonight. Uh, invaluable resource at S Langs on sports on Twitter uh, for all your StatCast stuff and just baseball fun. Uh, I don't know if anyone likes baseball as much as Sarah Langs loves baseball. So um, always fun there. A couple more texts in the text line before we take a break here and, and talk to our pal Esteban Rivera, fan graphs and, and tee up tonight's matchup. Uh, you can keep those coming to 590, 590. We'll, uh, we'll see how many of them we get to uh, Ryan and Whippy shares that after the Edwin Encarnacion home run, Joe Biagini gave him his ski goggles. All right. Uh, the champagne protection goggles. Uh, maybe Ryan is going to wear them Friday. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think anything you can bring back from 2016, um, bring that same energy, bring that same juice, I guess. Um I don't know. It's going to be different to be there as media. That's for sure. Um, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, Nick in, in Little Britain um, says going Friday up in the 500s. He was at the Donaldson Dash game. Yeah, his yeah, he's bringing back the sign. Rather get punched in May than knocked out in October. Um, although my one issue with that is that Getting knocked out in October is still better than getting knocked out in September. Uh, most teams will get knocked out in October. That's semantics. That's semantics. Um, Owen and Burnaby says, Buck Tabby, Shulman Hazel, best broadcast team in baseball. Uh, Owen, I'll pass that along. Um, obviously, always a, an awesome, special segment for me to get to talk to Buck Martinez. Um, Jordan from Toronto says baseball needs to go to 154 games with the added playoff spots. 162 is too damn long. I disagree. I think it should be like 200 games and each playoff series should be like 13 games because that's the only way we'll know if the actual best team uh, won. By the way, baseball feels super long. I'm sure it's physically very long for these players. Someone on NBA Twitter brought this. Um, Mark Schindler, a friend of mine, was he's, you know, at this time of year, a lot of people are, are getting more into baseball. Um, casuals become a little more hardcore for the playoff stretch. He is regrettably a Cleveland fan. Um but he was saying how long the baseball season was. And I looked at the numbers. It's five days longer than the basketball season. Uh, it's just the everyday element of it that uh, that grinds on us. Ian and Midland asks what time I think Friday's game would will be. Um, I don't know for sure other than to say it'll probably be the first start time if it's Tampa Bay. 
If it's Seattle, I would imagine it's the second start time, so 4 o'clock or whichever slot ends up being the the second of the four. Um, We could know later tonight, um, but probably not. We probably won't find out till Wednesday. I, I would imagine baseball holds off until all of the series are set um, because again, only one central time zone team hosting a wild card series. And there are two West coast teams to slot in as road teams. And, and obviously they don't have home games, uh, but you want to service their fan bases as well. Vincent Aurora says last white start. I said, I wouldn't watch. I did by the way. See, I told you, I remember that text Vince. I told you, you were, full of it and you were going to watch that start and now you're excited and you're excited for uh you say Kikuchi tomorrow so uh there you go it's it's baseball it's, you can say, feel sometimes it's long you can feel sometimes you're out on a guy you're always going to get pulled back in this time of year it, it's you know this is what do, what can we call it it's a little appetizer now there's no there are no stakes whatsoever it's just a little prank for the table at this point, these last two games. So they'll be fun. Let's take a break and let's talk to Espon Rivera of Fangraphs. We'll, uh, we'll take a deeper look at some of these playoff rotations, how some of these offenses are performing, um, and if uh, some of the Jays' growth on the hitting side is for real. That's next with Espon Rivera on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Clear as blue. Uh, yeah. I don't know why that song reminds me. Well, maybe around the time it, it was released, but that song reminds me of the Blue Jays in the playoffs, which is great. It's a, it's a nice thing to be reminded of those 2015 and 2016 teams. Maybe those memories will be uh, not a lot of brain here, so maybe they'll be nudged out by the twenty by the twenty twenty two Toronto Blue Jays in the playoffs. A couple more texts in the text line before we uh, talk to Esteban here. Chris in Etobicoke says he's one of the few that's still invested in Kikuchi. Can I see him making the playoff roster? Uh, yeah, uh, probably not the wild card roster, but. Maybe if like Seattle starts four lefties regularly, maybe you want an extra lefty in there. Maybe you're okay with it just being Trevor Richards as your de facto second lefty, even though he's right-handed. We'll see how that works out later rounds. You need, you probably need a long man somewhere and you're carrying an extra pitcher for five and seven game series. If it's not Kikuchi or white, it's maybe one of the triple a guys, taxi squad guys. I don't know. There's a path to Kikuchi, especially if he has a good outing tomorrow. There's a path to him being on a playoff roster. I don't, I don't think he'd be used in any sort of big spot, but he's there. And I don't know. He looked a little bit better last time. The velocity is obviously there. The the swing and miss stuff is obviously there. Um, Short, short leash though. Short, short leash for sure. Yeah, Russ in Burlington says uh, he's never been more excited to watch Kikuchi pitch than Wednesday um, because it means Manoa's going game one. And uh, he thinks they're spinning Robbie Ray's cap. 
yeah, I don't know which game Ray's going to pitch. If they go Ray Castillo or Castillo Ray, or even go Ray in a game three, we'll see how, uh, how that shakes out. We'll get to uh, a few more of those a little later in the show, and we'll tee up tonight's game against the Orioles under the assumption it's going to happen. Uh, it doesn't look great in Baltimore right now, but what can you do? Uh, Let's talk to our pal Esteban Rivera, Fangraphs and Pinstripe Alley. Uh, Esteban, I, I have the Yankees game up on a screen here, and I got to tell you, I think I saw the last ever Aaron Judge home run when I saw number 61. He's done now, apparently. Yep, that's it. Call it a career. It's, He's done. It's that's over. the last one. It's over. Uh, it's hilarious too to like look and it's like, oh, he's only hit one home run in his last like fourteen games or whatever it is, and his OPS in that stretch is still like a thousand. Um, it's uh, it's okay. Where where are the Yankees at though? Uh, big picture heading into the playoffs. I, I know they've gotten some good pitching of late. Um, maybe the offense has come around uh, uh, around Aaron Judge a little better. Is there a any sort of confidence level that that these guys can pull off what a lot of people thought they were going to pull off uh, just a couple months ago? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the team is more than capable of doing that. Everything seems to be clicking at the moment other than a few injuries in the bullpen, but I think it's 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 tough to weigh the fact that they re- so recently struggled, especially on offense, and with the fact that they were an amazing, <laughs> almost historic team for a few months there. I think that the talent is certainly there, but as each injury in the bullpen goes on, you get a little more worried. You know, I know that they have a very deep bullpen, but it's never nice to see one by one <laughs> going off every three or four days. Well, Esteban, you show me the bullpen that is deep enough to not be concerned about it in the playoffs, and uh, that'll be a first. <laughs> there, There is, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, especially in the hyper-specialization era where every team has so many relievers. Uh, it, that, all that means to me is that you got more risky guys back there. The, the days yeah. of the 2015 Royals feel uh, way, way, way behind us. Um, you mentioned the Yankees feel like they're clicking right now. I would say that aside from the Jays series, uh, the Jays series against the Yankees and uh, a sweep at the hands of the angels a little before that, the Jays have felt like they're clicking as well for a little while now. Now the Jays line up on the opposite side of the bracket of the Yankees. So we might not get to talk Yankees again until the ALCS, but what is your feeling on where the Jays are at right now? Um, first for the, for a wild card series, but also, those Astros look like a juggernaut, but the, the Jays have better offensive numbers overall. Um, what are your impressions of the, the Jays at a high level here, Esteban? I'm feeling similar to how I felt last year with the Jays at the end of the season where everything just started coming together and they were becoming probably the most dangerous offense in baseball. And it, They have pretty much anything, right? They have the star power at the top, one through four, or I guess that's subjective. They could even be one through six, and then they have the depth to take you through nine and some reinforcements coming on too. So they're a scary team. And in terms of the, the, the wild card series or even the DS, I know that pitching is a little bit of a concern like you and many others have said, but that one, two in a short series, that's dangerous. If Alex Manoa can throw as many innings as I expect him to, they're not even going to have to worry that much about how many guys they have in the bullpen. 
I think Sarah was just saying before I came on about just facing Manoa in the playoffs is a scary thought. He has the command. He has the confidence. He has an out pitch or multiple, and he just has that dog in him, <laughs> simply put. He does, and it, it's it's really fascinating to – you know, go through Alec Manoa's first two seasons here as a, you know, a Jays fan first and, and as Jays media. And you kind of like there was a stretch where I was almost waiting for the other shoe to drop of like, there's no way this guy can be this. Like he can't keep bumping Roy Halladay and Roger Clemens <laughs> and guys like that off of Jays, you know, record books, not just for before age 25, but for single season stuff. Um, it's, it's pretty awesome. And I, I, I think the biggest concern I have about Alec Manoa in the, in a playoff situation is does he like power bomb John Schneider? If John Schneider tries to take him out of a game. <laughs> Yeah, that's valid. I just, I can't see a scenario where he doesn't pitch well and doesn't throw at least 14 innings in two games combined, which is coming from the the Yankees perspective, the Rays perspective, Mariners, it's just one of the pitchers in the league that you don't want to face. He can miss barrels. He suppresses home runs and it's, he's, he's a scary pitcher and he's the type that you don't want to face in the playoffs. It's not like he's, um, not that I think that he is better than Garrett Cole per se, but it's harder to sit on one pitch versus Manoa than it is other pitchers across the league. Yeah, we've seen those four pitches Manoa throws almost converge in terms of how often he uses each. And I think, you know, that's his growth as a guy who not only has the the physical tools, but thinks the game at, at a pretty high level as well. Um, Esteban, when you're looking at how a playoff rotation lines up, and I just want to make sure you know, we're, we're on the same page if, with how we're lining this up. When you talk about Manoa as, you know, a seven-inning guy in the playoffs, which seven innings is a lot in today's baseball. Um, and then you look at Gosman, and let's say Gosman is a is a six-inning guy. Maybe Stripling and Barrios in a longer series are, are guys you only let go twice through the order. Here in 2022, like if this is 2004, that seems like your toast and your bullpen's going to be beaten into mm -hmm. oblivion. Here in 2022, that can almost feel like that's enough length. And I guess my question then for you that follows from that is, do the Jays have enough in the bullpen in your estimation to make all of that work, to thread all of that together? Yeah, I think that the Jays have set up their bullpen to have pretty much any sort of matchup handled. You might not have any release, relief ace unless you think of Jordan Romano in that way, although he's mainly a closer type. But, so they don't really have anyone that can come in at any moment where you think of in the top pedestal. But when it comes to the playoffs, it's mostly just about matchups and getting through specific innings and lanes in the lineup. And I think that they're well prepared to work through that. Honestly, there have been teams that have won with worse bullpens. Last year we talked about it nonstop about how the Braves bullpen is so suspect. And then look what happened. They almost won because their bullpen came to play. They worked through their matchups and made their pitches. So that's more what, what it's about. And I think you can go through each pitcher in the rotation and say, yeah, they can use this pitch to get a good hitter out. And that's, a, that's important, right? It, it can seem you know, simplified and obviously the game in the playoffs is a lot more complicated strategically, but 
it's, you know, it's still uh pitcher versus batter. Sorry, I'm chuckling here. I have MLP network on one of the screens in here and they just showed that clip of Sanchez almost eating the practice swing um, earlier in the year. And it, it sorry, it, this is very unprofessional of me, but it was really distracting. Um, okay. Uh, that's a scary thought. I, it, if, you've, if you've played baseball, you've sadly almost been there before. Buddy, I've played slow pitch and I've almost been there before. It's, exactly. uh, it's exactly. never, uh, it's, never too far of mine. So that's the Jays side of pitching. Um, let's take a look at potential opponents here for, for the Blue Jays. And I do want to talk a little bit about the Jays offense clicking if, if we end up having time. Um, but I want to start looking ahead to no disrespect to the Orioles in these last two meaningless games. Uh, no disrespect to Mike Bauman, uh, who, yeah, not your colleague at Fangraphs, the other Mike Bauman. Um, <laughs> I do want to start setting the stage for what a series with Seattle or Tampa Bay could look like. Um, when you look at what those teams would look like in a wild card series on the Seattle side, some combination of Castillo, Ray, Gilbert, Kirby on the Ray side, McClanahan, and maybe some question marks as to who starts the other games, but a lot of options there. Um, which side would you prefer? Like, like, do you like Seattle's top three options better or Tampa Bay's? I definitely like Seattle's top three better. That may be a hot take of some sorts, but I'm pretty high on Logan Gilbert and George Kirby. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would say that Robbie Ray is the fourth best starter on that team, although I fully expect him to get a game two start and if that ends up happening. Um, but, yeah, I'm pretty confident in the Seattle rotation. On the other hand, Shane McClanahan is scary. But since his injury, I think it was shoulder, he has been getting hit much harder. And it's pretty hard to rebound off an injury like that, like he has. I mean, that rotation really relies on him to not only be very good, but to also give pretty decent length. So that's one guy that I think we should pay attention to heading into the postseason. He's not looking like himself at the moment. And then on top of that, I can very well see – Tyler Glass now getting some innings. I'm not really sure what his cap is, but he's also been giving up a ton of hard contact since he's come back, albeit in a super small sample size. So if I'm the Jays, I'm wanting to face that team, and I am much less afraid of Shane McClanahan than I was two, three months ago. Famous last words there, man. Famous last words. I'm not scared of the guy who not that. I know the Jays got four off of him last time, uh, but I sat close for McClanahan's first game back at, when he went five shutout. And I don't know, man, McClanahan at his best is still, I don't know, the second best pitcher in the, the second best pitcher in the American league. Maybe um, on the, on the, batting side neither of these teams Seattle or Tampa are as deadly at the plate as they are on the pitching side and the defense side um, but Seattle has Julio Rodriguez back and maybe he's not going to be a hundred percent but he's back and that's a big step and one of the things that you and Mikey Ahedo won't stop tweeting about um, and it's <laughs> driving me nuts because this is a potential series is Jared Kelnick looks like he's figured some stuff out um, with a team like Seattle that's that's so young on the position player side do you lean toward that, giving them more upside, or are you of the, of the belief that you know young guys got to go through it a little bit more, and maybe that youth is a is a bit more of a disadvantage? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it depends on the young guy. If we're talking mm -hmm. about Julio Rodriguez, I can see him uh, 
maybe even being the best hitter in the postseason, and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's all about preference when it comes to wanting to face the Rays lineup versus the Mariners lineup. Yeah, in some way, the Rays have pedigree because they've made their fair share of postseason runs in the last three years. But, honestly, though that lineup this year just, to me, isn't as scary or good as it was in previous years. Um, they lost a lot of power from 2020 and 2021, and that's a key to winning in the postseason. So if that is going to be a problem for them, then I would much prefer facing them, especially with Randy Rosarina coming back down to earth after an insane August and Wander Franco not fully getting it going so far since he's been healthy again. And I, I think there is uh, an argument to be made about the Mariners lineup being young and not having a ton of postseason experience. But, I mean, they they have a group of hitters that I think probably can take uh, can make a better run against better pitching than the ones on the Rays. I have heard it said before, too, that, yes, that, that youth and inexperience can – uh, can be a bad thing, but and, and I don't mean this in like an actual intelligence way, but uh, young and dumb can sometimes be good too because you don't know, like you can't be afraid of the moment if if you don't realize you should be afraid of the moment, um, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that comes up a little bit more in basketball than it does in baseball maybe. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it's fun to think about. So if you're the Blue Jays, you'd rather play Tampa Bay than Seattle. Now let's flip it. And if you're Tampa Bay and Seattle, now Tampa controls this more because if they lose out, they they get Cleveland. Um, would you be okay with not winning these last couple games? So you draw Cleveland instead of Toronto if you're Tampa Bay or Seattle? Oh, I'd be very okay. <laughs> uh, it's not that you're trying to lose, but I think it's pretty obvious that the Blue Jays are just the more dangerous team. That Guardians offense just... It's not a playoff offense to me. I know that technically they are in the playoffs, (laughs) but geez, it's pretty, it's pretty underwhelming. No disrespect to any one player, but without J-Ram being the the guy that literally carries an offense and hits a double or a single every single time there's a runner in scoring position, I just don't see them getting past pretty much any team in the American league. It's a it's a tough one, man. It, it's their second to only the Detroit Tigers in fewest home runs hit. Um, they have, you know, like the the bottom four in their order on a given day is uh, is pretty rough. Like today, it's Owen Miller, Gabriel Arias, Austin Hedges, and Miles Straw. Um, they just called up Bo Naylor, who we love here in Canada. Of course, we want to see the yeah. Naylor brothers succeed. Um, but those two guys slot like a guy fresh from the minors slotting right into the middle of your lineup um, does not necessarily tell us uh good things about where your offense is at um so that's the power component obviously there are other concerns about the guardians beyond that but you you said in kind of going through uh the rays and why you're not as high on them that power really matters in the playoffs um in your opinion esteban and you've been through this as a as a player at the collegiate level as well um what changes the most from the regular season to the postseason in terms of you know whether it's the player side whether it's the management side however you want to take it um but what's what's going to be most different friday afternoon uh compared to today the pitchers are better 
they're better and they're more prepared. They know exactly what location and pitch will get a specific hitter out, will get them to chase something, and they know it up and down the lineup. <laughs> uh, so needing to face better pitchers who are more prepared is not ideal for a team who isn't ready for that. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's... I just, um... Sorry, continue, Esteban. Yeah, of course. Um, so, I mean, if you just you put it into comparison, if you're coming from the perspective of the Guardians, you're facing the AL Central all year, then suddenly you're facing the four, maybe the four best teams in the American League who all have good pitching of some way, whether it be on the top of the rotation or nasty relievers with good specific pitches. It's just a completely different mindset. When it comes to those specific pitchers, um, I, I'm most curious about uh, your take on bullpen management. And we went into it a little bit with the Jays and they have guys for certain situations. Um, just how structured are we talking about? Like when we, when you sit down, I know you haven't been on a major league roster, but, but bear with me here. When you sit down, you know, say the Mariners get locked in as the Jays opponent tonight and you're the Jays pitching strategist and manager and analytics team and things like that. How specific are we getting on in terms of knowing ahead of time? Like, oh, yeah, I'm using Zach Pop against this three man chunk of the order um, in this situation. Like, like, are we getting that granular or is it uh, is it higher level than that? I think you absolutely get that granular. You need to break it down by inning. You need to break it down by spot in the order and then go from there. Obviously, you don't want to use your best pitchers if you don't have to, but if there's a scenario where there are runners on and there's not a lot of outs in the inning and the hitters seem to be seeing the ball well from any specific pitcher, you need to be fully prepared to go to your best guy or your best guy with a certain pitch in a specific scenario, whether you're looking for a strikeout or a ground out. It really does get down to the fine details of being prepared and just needing to know every single scenario, option A, option B, option C. Um, If I'm going into the playoffs, I want to do everything to make sure I'm not nervous. And in order to do that, I have to be prepared for every single situation. So let me throw one more situation at you before I let you go, Esteban. Um, You are the Toronto Blue Jays. You draw the Seattle Mariners who have four left-handed hitters. They start more or less every time out. They also have three switch hitters. So they can go lefty heavy against you. Does that make you think there's a possible scenario where Yusei Kikuchi could have a role on a wildcard roster? Absolutely. I think that UC can get in these modes where he is electric. And I, and I know a lot of people agree with that. And if he can somehow find his command and have control of his top two pitches, then he is a nightmare to face as a lefty out of the bullpen specifically. I think that he can be used as sort of a, <clears throat> uh, not starter per se, but having a multi-inning relief role depending on how a lineup shakes out. He's looked a lot better, right? The last few times he's mm-hmm. been throwing, people seem to be getting on the Tuesday train again. He's um, so striking out almost two batters an inning as a reliever. I know there are 
pretty ludicrous walk numbers with that as well and home run numbers, but you put up 31 strikeouts in 16 innings from the left side of the bullpen. I'm going to try to talk myself into you having uh, maybe some utility at certain times. Yeah, absolutely. Especially against the Mariners lineup where their best hitters aren't necessarily their lefties right now, right? Right. It's uh, their their bottom half of the order is really where you're going to get those lefties. So why not at least give it a try, especially if it's in one of the earlier innings or if you're super confident in what you've gotten from UC. And one more note on the walks. I know I, Walker Buehler said this one time on a podcast, but walks in the playoffs aren't a bad thing necessarily. Sometimes pitchers will approach a hitter and not give in in order to get a better matchup. And sometimes that means you walk someone. I remember him using this specific example of looking at his walk rate in the playoffs versus uh, in the regular season and CeCe Sabathia completely agreeing with him about how, yeah, my numbers say the same thing. I walk more guys in the playoffs because I'm not giving in no matter what. So if you see that from UC or from other pitches, don't be surprised. Yeah, that's an interesting take. And I wonder if part of it too, especially, you know, the Kikuchi hypothetical role we're talking about here, you don't have to worry about pitch count. You don't have to worry about your, your innings load and stuff like that. If you put a guy on base, you know, part of the reason we don't like walks is because you're using more pitches to get there. You're being inefficient. Um, If you put a guy on base and it's the, the right choice for how you maximize that inning, uh, why not? It's uh, everything like we kind of set up off the top. Everything is very micro. Everything's very specific. Uh, come Friday, Esteban, hope you're going to enjoy the heck out of it, man. Um, maybe Aaron Judge hits 62 in the second half of this doubleheader. Uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, that's a It's a weird one to watch. He singled while you were on with me, uh, but that's not a home run. Um, man, thanks for no, taking the not. time out during an Aaron Judge game. And I uh, hope you really enjoy the playoffs, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Blake, and good luck to the Jays on Friday. Thank you. Uh, Esteban Rivera of Fangraphs, of Pinstripe Alley. If we get a Jays-Yankees ALCS, you're probably going to hear a lot of Esteban on this show. Um, and I know when it was the Aaron Judge watch, people maybe didn't like necessarily the Yankees focus. Tell you what. The Jays are in the ALCS against anyone. I don't know that there are going to be a lot of complaints, uh, period. That is... Five wins away starting Friday. I had to say starting Friday because the wins today and tomorrow don't count. Uh, They would, though, push you to uh, a higher record, of course. And as someone asked in the text line, I don't get this one. Um, This is from Andrew Muskoka. And he says, when the Jays end the season at 92 wins, what do I... I, meaning me, uh, owe Kevin Barker for predicting the final win total at the start of the season. I, I don't know, man. I, I've never, uh, I wasn't doing Jay's Talk Plus at the start of the season. I don't think I was ever on a morning show where we had Kevin Barker. Um, I don't really know Kevin super well, so I don't think I owe him anything other than, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't pat him on the back. I'm not going to go around the studio touching people, um, but yeah, I'll tell him good job. Derek is uh, Derek Brandeo is telling me to get him a Waffle House gift certificate, which great. I, I like Waffle House too, but I don't know why I'm in the position here, Andrew and Derek, uh, why I've got to give him something. I didn't bet with him at all. Um, 
let's take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll clean out the the last few in this text line here. We'll set up tonight's game if it's going to happen. Mitch White against Mike Bauman. Jays against Orioles. It's 7.05 later. Um, we'll be back. We'll look at the lineups. We'll look at the pitching matchup. We'll look at your texts on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's the White Rabbit. If you know, you know. I don't know. Maybe it's just Dan Schulman and I watching uh, Monday Night Raw on Sportsnet alongside uh, the Jays game. Maybe you know as well. I don't know. It's getting interesting, though. We'll see. If the Toronto Blue Jays play tonight, George Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman, and Alejandro Kirk are all getting the night off. That comes via Arden's Welling. That is if this game goes down. We have an Orioles lineup. Uh, we don't have the Jays lineup yet. Uh, you can piece it together from that. Um, we'll see when it comes down here uh, officially. But yeah, it's not going to be your primary group by any stretch. So again, that would be Springer. No Springer. So no Springer and Oscar Hernandez. So you're probably looking at Jackie Bradley Jr., and either Bradley Zimmer or Whit Merrifield bumps to the outfield. But no Bo Bichette. So who's playing shortstop? Otto Lopez, I guess. Kevin Biggio at third base. So Whit Merrifield will be at second. Maybe Moreno's in the outfield. Maybe Bradley Zimmer's getting a start. Uh, it's uh, It should be a fun one if it gets played. I, I, I love, I used to love the 40-man September's because you got to see guys 40 was a little extreme 28 feels too narrow. I think honestly, the fact that the Jays will have to today and tomorrow, if the games are played, use pitchers um, who they would prefer to have in the postseason. I get it. It's 162 game season. That's the way the sport is, but I don't know. Couldn't we go to 30, 30 for September? I think that should be allowed. I, I like seeing guys like Otto Lopez, like Otto Lopez has spent, almost five weeks on the major league roster over the last two years. And he has one plate appearance. Bradley Zimmer has a chance to set join, not set a major league record, but join some very elite company in major league history. So right now as a blue Jay, Bradley Zimmer has 93 plate appearances in 98 games played. If he were to get to a hundred games, so he plays today and plays tomorrow. And he has seven plate appearances, or he has fewer than play, seven plate appearances across those two, which may be not realistic if he plays, if he starts both of them, but bear with me, bear with me here. If that were to happen, he would become just the seventh player ever to have 100 appearances with the team and get fewer than 100 plate appearances in a year. Um, he would be the first since 1984, Mike Squires. So this is a, an historic level of... You play a lot, but you never get to bat. Even if he crosses that threshold, he's still going to be uh, the second lowest in terms of plate appearances per appearance since 1984. Jason Ellison will have him beat from 2007. Otherwise, you got to go back to well before I was born for the last time someone had this 
I never play, but I play all the time profile that Bradley Zimmer has. Um, someone also asked me, by the way, um, in response to that, I, I tweeted out the stat earlier, what, where Zimmer ranks in terms of being kind of a ball magnet. Um, so James in TO James G asked me um, if I'm able to calculate putouts for an outfielder by innings played as a ratio, uh, because it seems like Zimmer gets a lot of action. And I did, uh, I pulled data going back to 1956, which is when we first have innings played for position players. And Zimmer comes out in the 92nd percentile for outs per inning pitch. So, or inning played rather. So there you go. He does get the ball a disproportionate amount relative to uh, baseball history. We'll continue to track that one. Uh, something we were tracking yesterday, by the way, uh, Jose Barrios's ERA on the season dropped to 523. So that gets him out of that category of worst JZRA over a, a full qualified season of all time. He's 10th, which isn't great, but it's not top five. Um, by the way, Alec Manoa finished the season second among qualified pitchers in Jay's history in ERA. Kevin Gosman, 33rd, still pretty good. Uh, Ross Stripling would have been 18th, but he doesn't have enough innings to qualify technically. Um, the cutoff is uh, 160 right now and 162 at the end of the year if both games get played. Um, so, yeah, a couple stat notes there. Um, Bo Bichette not playing today is interesting for... I don't think it'll come up. I don't think... He's going to get caught, but he's only six hits up on the lead for hits in the American League. Be the second year in a row. Bo leads the AL in hits. That's pretty cool. Uh, Vlad is three RBI away from 100. We know that guys like to have nice round numbers. I'd imagine if Vlad plays today, he won't play tomorrow since, uh, you know, they, they you can't rest everyone. You only have... You only have 14 position players, so you can only sit five of your regulars each game. Uh, so before anyone gets mad that Vlad's playing this one, if the game happens, um, that's why. Can't rest everyone at once. Um, all right, a couple texts before we look at uh, Baltimore's lineup and while we wait on uh, Toronto's lineup still and, and see how it actually uh, looks batting order-wise. SJ in North York asks, if you say Kikuchi throws a perfect game tomorrow with 15 strikeouts, does he become a high leverage bullpen option in the playoffs or even then they won't do it? Uh, high leverage, no. You would have to, like, by the end of the playoffs, it's possible guys' roles change. You could move into better leverage if you succeed in lower leverage. But uh, game 162 against half an Orioles lineup, I don't think you would take too, too much from that. You'd be more confident in using him in a low leverage spot if he had that kind of stuff, but you're not dropping him into, uh, into leverage. Um, someone who, oh, Kyle from Oshawa says, I've been in a Jay's WhatsApp chat with 17 guys for three years. I've never seen the group so excited. Um, man, 17 people in a group chat is too much. That is making me anxious just thinking about it. Um, Good for you guys, though. I hope, uh, I mean, text, text back in. Let me know how many of those 17 of you are uh, going to watch any of these wildcard games together. I can't imagine any of you live in a place that fits 17 for a wildcard game. Uh, if you do, though, um, I don't know. I take I take tips. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Um, Kristen Toronto says she'd rather have Kikuchi pitch than Cliff Pennington 2022. I mean, you got Whit Merrifield 
at one point this year. That's not not the worst. Um, Rick in Stony Creek says that there is language uh, in a different spot that contradicts the earlier language that we took from the MLB.com site in terms of who would host between Cleveland and Toronto in a hypothetical ALCS. Um, I'm going to just say for now, let's worry about it if the records turn out that way. Uh, yeah, this is why it was tough to answer on the fly because there are conflicting language if depending on the site you look. Uh, and then it's a vague language to say the best. Um, Mike in Mississauga asks if Bradley Summer, I, I assume that is going to, that's supposed to mean Bradley Zimmer, if he's actually going to get in at bat. Um, if, if Arden's tweet is correct that those are the guys sitting, Bradley Zimmer is going to get several plate appearances tonight. Andrew Mississauga asks how long Lourdes Gurriel's leash is um, because there could be a slow start back from injury. Yeah, I, I think, you know, without knowing the medical information necessary to make that judgment, um, I think something I can feel confident in saying is if Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is not ready enough to start a game, they're not going to force it for the wild card. I think they've shown all year they're pretty comfortable with Rymel Tapia um, in left field and in the lineup, they hit him higher in the lineup with regularity than his numbers might suggest they should. Um, they like Rymel Tapia, and he's been playing really well. So no argument here if that's the case. Maybe Gurriel slots into a um, pinch hit role, and and that's you know that's kind of his role for those first couple games. Maybe he doesn't make the postseason roster. Uh, or the the wild card roster, at least. I, I got to stop saying postseason roster because you can make changes, of course, uh, between series. Vince in Aurora uh, says he loves how everyone is excited, including him, to see Zimmer start today. Yeah, man, let's uh, let's go. We got a lineup, so let's go to it. Leading off, Whit Merrifield. He'll be followed by Rymel Tapia. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Danny Jansen cleaning up and playing DH, Kevin Biggio at third, Gabriel Moreno behind the plate. We get to see him again. Jackie Bradley Jr. in right, Otto Lopez, first career start at shortstop, Bradley Zimmer in center field. What a lineup. That is... Pretty cool. Um, this is part of the benefit of getting your uh, position locked in early is that you can do something like this. You can give a bunch of guys a day off and reward some of your bench guys that, you know, I, I laid it out earlier. Bradley Zimmer is in historic territory for playing almost every day for this team, but not getting plate appearances. Otto Lopez has spent almost five weeks of major league service time and has one plate appearance and has never started a game. He gets his first career start today. Gabriel Moreno has been around as the third catcher and barely used. He gets to start one. It's great. You get to see how a Tapia Zimmer Bradley outfield looks. Sure. Um, all that stuff is legitimate. It makes for a fun watch if this game happens, of course. Uh, again, everything is a, is a if 
people are fired up about Bradley Zimmer. Um, uh, oh, um, TJ <laughs> texts in, whew, there are a lot of typos in that, buddy. You got to uh, stop texting while you're driving, please, I imagine. Um, Espinal, he's asking about Espinal getting a chance to play maybe tomorrow. Um, if he's not in the lineup today, uh, we haven't seen any transaction about him being activated, and there are too many guys playing. Uh, for Espinal to have been activated. So maybe tomorrow is the chance. Uh, someone says this is Zimmer's World Series. There you go. Um, someone uh, says, the yeah, that's a wrestling one. I'll respond to that uh, 705 number after. Let's uh, Let's take a look at the pitching matchup for tonight. It's Mitch White. It's Mike Bauman. You've seen Mike Bauman a handful of times already. It feels like most of this guy's career has been against the Blue Jays. Uh, he comes in with a 434 ERA, 27-year-old non-prospect. He's been in the Orioles system since 2017. Um, nothing uh, in his profile suggests he's going to be a guy long-term. Uh, he's made three starts and nine relief appearances this year. Doesn't miss bats. 6.5% swinging strike rate, which is really, really low. Um, to give you context, guys swing at miss on swings against him as often as he walks guys, almost the exact same walk rate as swinging strike rate, which uh, not good. Biggest asset for him though, ground ball rate over 50%. So he's only allowed two home runs in 29 major league innings this year, despite not being very good in general and not being able to miss bats, not giving up home runs is a helpful skill to have. And Baltimore's park plays into that. Um, he'll throw a 96 mile an hour fastball about half the time. It's been hit pretty hard. Um, comically bad results, honestly, for a 96-mile-an-hour fastball that you throw 50% of the time. It tunnels well with the curveball. It's hard to pick those up um, from each other, but he should not be throwing it 50% of the time, which, as it turns out, he's gone away from. In his three starts, he's only thrown it about 35% of the time. The slider has become his top pitch when he's starting games uh, a little ahead of the fastball, that slider's pretty good. Opponents hitting 156 against it. Very low swing and miss rate by the standards of a slider. But yeah, him throwing this more is absolutely the right thing for him longer term. Also throws a curveball. It's been hit a lot for average. Opponents are hitting 350 against it. Um, but it is a ground ball machine. It is almost impossible to get extra base hit off that thing. And then he'll mix in a changeup as well. Jays have saw him twice this year, once as a starter, once as a reliever. Uh, they also saw him late last year, touched him up for six runs over three innings. Uh, so total, he's seen the Jays for 10 innings, allowed nine runs. Nothing, uh, nothing special there. Bo Bichette, George Springer, Danny Jansen have all hit him multiple times. Uh, Matt Chapman has had good results against him too. Uh, those guys aren't playing except for Danny Jansen. Uh, so Danny Jansen might have uh, might have his number. Whit Merrifield has doubled off of him before, but this is a there's not a, a lot of uh, track record there for the Jays bench players against Michael Bauman. And unless I go to the AAA stats, which I'm not going to do because uh, this game is not all that serious. Backing up Mike Bauman. Uh, by the way, Spencer Watkins is expected to be the the follower in this one. Uh, once 
Bauman's time's up, so we'll see how uh, how Spencer Watkins looks. Um, he's another name you've seen before. He, he's bounced around Detroit and Baltimore, uh, comes in with a 476 ERA. Cedric Mullins is going to lead off. This is not a, a half of an Orioles lineup. This is the, the real deal. Cedric Mullins, Adley Rutschman, Anthony Santander, Gunnar Henderson, Jesus Aguilar, Taron Vavra, Austin Hayes, Ryan McKenna, Jorge Mateo. Aguilar and Rutschman have both doubled off of Mitch White before. Um, he saw Baltimore on September 6th. It was probably the Mitch White start you could most forgive him for having a rough one. He went two and a third innings, gave up five earned runs. He only allowed three hits. That was a, it was a bit of a rough one, but as has been the case with Mitch White often as a Blue Jay, figuring out how much of that is on him and how much of that is on luck and defense is a bit of a tough one. On the year, he has a 521 ERA and component metrics that say this guy should be a four ERA pitcher. I don't think any Jays fan looks at a 738 ERA since he got here and feels too strongly about that. The biggest thing for Mitch White and the biggest thing you're looking for from him today, he's only finished the fifth inning once in his last five appearances. I am sure the Jays are hoping he gives them five uh, today. You want to keep guys fresh. You don't want your relievers not pitching for four or five days six days heading into the postseason. So you don't mind getting a handful of guys, an inning today or an inning tomorrow. I think ideally, you know, most of your guys would get into a game over the next two days for a short, low leverage spot. Um, but you don't want to have to be in triage mode and cover six, seven innings as a bullpen. So um, if Mitch White doesn't have it, he might have to wear it, but hopefully Mitch White has it. By the way, speaking of bullpens, uh, Brandon Kuhn asks, uh, and this was from the other day, so, so sorry to Brendan for uh, taking a bit to get it, get to it, but uh, he says, high leverage playoff situation, seventh inning, three good righties coming up. Are you bringing in Bass or Garcia? I am going Bass, and I'll tell you why. So that's the seventh inning, and it's high leverage. That's a spot where, depending on the game, you could justify using Romano, honestly. If it's, say, it's 2-3-4 in an order, and they're the best players, and it's, they're, you know, there's a one-run game or something like that. You're probably still saving Romano at that point, but you can make a case. So Anthony Bass has been death on righties. Part of why he's also my answer is that I'm a little more comfortable with Jimmy Garcia facing a part of the order that contains a lefty than Anthony Bass. So if you use Garcia there, I'm less comfortable answering Anthony Bass in the next part of the question, which is eighth inning against this part of the order who are you using? Um, Jeff asks, how many games do you think Lourdes Gurriel Jr. or Santiago Espinal would have to play for the Jays to feel good about adding them to the roster or starting them in a wildcard game? I'm going to go with Buck Martinez's answer from earlier because he's Buck Martinez and because I think it's the right answer. Uh, if you don't see those guys tomorrow, it's really hard to start them in a playoff game. Santiago Espinal might not have a starting role anyway with how Whit Merrifield's played and how the Jays will line up defensively. Um, maybe against the tough lefty, which they're probably going to see in Robbie Ray or Shane McClanahan, depending on who they draw as an opponent. Maybe then you'd want Espinal in there and you move Whit Merrifield to a corner outfield. Um, that's a possibility. It's a possibility you save Espinal as a, a defensive replacement slash pinch hitter against the lefty. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is a tougher one because he's sounded further away this entire time and still not 
all the way there running the bases. Um, that makes it tough to see him being able to play left field or, um, you know, beyond a pinch hit situation. So that's not a firm answer there. But yeah, if neither of those guys are in the lineup tomorrow, it's a little tough to see them certainly starting, but maybe even being on the roster. Um, the other thing that that does too is if those two guys aren't ready, do you maybe get to keep an extra pitcher? And I know that that sounds backwards because if you're missing two guys, why wouldn't you want extra hitters? Well, the answer is because the extra guy in that spot would be Otto Lopez. And I don't think you're using him in a playoff situation anyway. So maybe you have, um, maybe you have an extra pitcher there instead. It's a white or a Kikuchi or whoever. Um, Mike B asks, John Schneider has done pretty well as manager since taking over. Why didn't the Jays front office go with him in the first place? Um, my answer to that one is probably that at the time, I don't know that John Schneider was ready or they would have deemed John Schneider ready. So um, what you have to look at there is, is that decision was made a couple years ago. At that point, he was just starting out as a, as a bench coach. And he, yeah, he had the minor league track record, um, but he's a young guy still. Like he's only 42. So to, to hot shot a, you know, a 38 year old who hasn't been on a major league bench into that role probably would have been a, a little risky at that point. Again, let's read it out again. Cause it's still very, it's fun. The Jays lineup tonight is Whit Merrifield, Rymel Tapia, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Danny Jansen, Kevin Biggio, Gabrielle Moreno, Jackie Bradley Jr., Otto Lopez, and Bradley Zimmer. That game's at 7.05. It's now, I mean, it was a must-watch anyway because it's a Blue Jays game and it's like, it's October, but it is a must-watch now. Uh, I'm really excited. I, I would be excited for Zimmer, who has been a, a good soldier in a bench role all year. I'm very excited for Otto Lopez, who got his first career hit the other night and now gets his first career start. Uh, excited to see Moreno again after a long stretch of not seeing him. Let's see if Whit Merrifield can, can stay hot and keep it going. Um, I would imagine the regulars who are in the lineup today, like Guerrero Jr. and maybe even Danny Jansen, aren't in the lineup for the 4 p.m. start tomorrow. We'll see. Anyway, first pitch is 7.05. Ben Wagner on the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Blair and Barker will have Jay's talk for you post-game. Fan drive time is next, and then I'm back tomorrow. Uh, only 2 to 4, just Jay's talk plus regular because the Jays play at 4 tomorrow. Uh, I will talk to you then. Thank you to all our guests, to JR and Derek, behind the glass, and uh, let's have an Otto Lopez night. It's been Jay's talk plus on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.